Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling, and this is episode 536, I believe. I guess I should have checked that before I hit record. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm doing a Rob solo adventure. I want to talk through some things that 2020 taught me. And hopefully, as you're listening, it brings up some things that 2020 maybe taught you. Maybe we learned the same things, or maybe you had different experiences. But as I was driving across the country, I just drove from Minneapolis all the way to the central coast of California with a car filled with instruments and bikes attached on the back and several pieces of luggage and an aerial rig, if if you know what that is, and a dog. And it was just me and the dog and all that stuff. And I had a lot of time to think. It was four eight-hour days of driving. And along the way, I was reflecting back. It was almost a mini retreat for me. I was reflecting back on the year and thinking, what are some lessons that I can take away, both personally, professionally, and even higher level, just philosophically, from what we all experienced in what I think will be perhaps one of the worst years on record for a lot of us for for quite some time. And so that's what I'm going to talk through today. And in true entrepreneurial form, these lessons are positive, right? I'm not going to belabor the, the terrible things that happened. And then at the end, I have a little section that I've just titled Opportunities in 2021. And I'm thinking about software entrepreneurs starting new SaaS apps and just trends that I think are going to continue to play out that will need more and better software over the next year or two or three as things pan out. So I have four things to cover today in addition to that opportunities in 2021. The first thing I learned in 2020 is perspective, that startup problems are one thing, that losing an employee, stagnating MRR, high churn, customer flaming you on Twitter, it really brings you down, gives you anxiety, can cause you lack of sleep, chew through your mental cycles. But I learned perspective in that all of those things compared to massive wildfires in Australia and California, murder hornets, a global pandemic, massive racial injustice, and even storming the Capitol, which technically was 2021, it put things into perspective for me. And in all honesty, I've had a personal reset now with my internal anxieties and concerns about my company or other companies or work life and and professional progress and just all these things that I think over time creep up on me personally. And they start to make me question and worry and have concern about, are we moving fast enough? And you know, what happens here? Just all the things in your business that you think about. And I've learned to hold those things just a little bit distant from me in the way that I'm concerned, I'm going to focus on them, but I'm not going to let them be on my mind, causing me stress 24 hours a day, because compared to these other things that were happening in our world, they're just not that important. So for me, 2020 was a reset of perspective and showed me that having a job where I could work from home and continue to provide for my family and none of us getting sick and on and on and on, the inconvenience was a rounding error compared to what so many people around our country and around our world have been dealing with. 
And I'm thankful for that, that reset of perspective that I received over the past year. The second thing I learned in 2020 is that we can make it through really scary and dangerous things. And even when things felt almost hopeless and each of our individual experiences of the year was different, I have memories of gunshots and helicopters flying over our house because we live in Minneapolis and there were protests and, and fires and all types of stuff that was happening around the time that George Floyd was killed. And frankly, there's, there's trauma around that for me and my family. And there's uh, trauma around having to worry about my parents, whether they're going to get COVID or whether we're going to get COVID. And our friends who got COVID, are they going to be okay? Our kids feeling stressed about us? On and on and on. Each, each of our experiences, I'm sure we have some shared, but a lot of us have these individual memories or experiences. And I'll admit that even in those dark times, I remember thinking, we're going to make it through this. This is scary, but we will press forward. And I've actually reflected back on something I said on this podcast back in, it was either late March or early April of 2020. It was episode 490. And I'm going to play that clip here right now. But I was on that episode with Anar Volset, and we were talking about things you should be thinking as a founder and a business owner in this global pandemic as it was the early days of it unfolding. And I remember when I said this, I wondered if people would believe me, if you as a listener would hear me and believed that I believed it because I did. And there was a sense of calm and that was that sense of we can make it through scary, hard, dangerous things. So let's cut to that tape here. Last point, point seven, is just reminding you, like, we are going to make it through this. It feels terrible right now. And it, and it is terrible. You know, the health crisis is, is just, it's not something that any of us would, could even imagine, I think. But things will get better. Like, we will figure this out. And while it's serious and tragic, you know, we need to keep a, a level head and we need to kind of keep pushing things forward to take care of ourselves, you know, ourselves, our families, our communities. And I, I, again, I, it comes back to like staying mentally healthy and not stressing so much about it, not thinking about it all the time with little new information or no real new information. It doesn't help to just think about something all the time. You know, help worry is doesn't solve anything. That's something that Sherry and, and other psychologists <laughs> have kind of drilled into me over the years. It's like worry with no new information, just there's no, there's no value to it. And while my advice to not worry without new information was easier said than done. I do hope that there was some value in me essentially trying to reassure us that, you know, we, we can make it through these hard things. And in fact, we are, and we, and we continue to do so. The third thing I learned in 2020 is that there is always opportunity. And this is something I didn't realize back in, let's say the 2001 dot-com bust and recession that followed. I remember because I worked in tech, I was a developer, a web developer at the time and working, doing consulting and then also working for some startups. And I felt like the world was ending. Unemployment shot through the roof, at least in the tech community. And it was chaos. And I was too early in the workforce to realize that A, this is cyclical. B, usually the best people are employed through the whole cycle, you know, through the ups and the downs. And see that there is always opportunity. In fact, there can be even added opportunity in big economic bust times. You'll see all how you know how many great companies came out of two thousand one that were 
almost bootstrapped or just had tiny amounts of funding. And then once the economic cycle comes back, these things take off like a rocket. Similarly, 2008, how many companies came out of, out of that? And in 2020, as, as the recession hit, what did we see just accelerating? We saw anything dealing with remote work. We saw anything dealing with podcasting, video conferencing. There's a whole list of online event platforms. There's a whole list of things that I'm sure you noticed increasing in demand and increasing in MRR. I certainly saw it across both the tiny seed companies and, and my own portfolio of, of angel companies. A couple companies getting hit real hard and a handful of companies just up and to the right, doubling month over month, a few months in a row, just crazy growth. In addition, we started raising Tiny Seed Fund 2. We were going to start raising it in March of 2020. And we had all the assets and everything ready to start pitching it. And this happened and everything just locked up. And we wound up waiting one month or maybe two to start it. But things come down. And in that ensuing, what it's been not quite a year, I guess it's eight or nine months, we have raised a substantial fund too and are in the process of closing that now. And I've watched a handful of startups or even early stage close angel rounds and, and start talking to venture capitalists about closing venture capital rounds. Like funding was still flowing. There was an initial one to two months of, of uncertainty. But after that, there was still opportunity. And even across the, again, the tiny seed portfolio, as I look at the numbers, like there was one month, six weeks of I'll say a pullback and then things things kept moving forward. In addition to exits, I mean, we just heard from Josh from Bear Metrics a couple of weeks ago. He sold just a handful of months ago amid arguably tumultuous times. And that ties into my fourth point that doing things in public creates opportunity. You couldn't look at the pandemic happening and everyone sheltering, starting to shelter in place and then suddenly build and launch Zoom or build and launch Tuple, build and launch Squadcast, or Castos, you had to be in the game doing something in order to hit it right at the right time and have a product out there that people could just adopt. And is there luck involved in that? Of course there was. These founders and others had obviously delivered products that people loved and they had growth. You know, they were going up into the right, but the exponential growth that came in a lot of these tools, there was some luck that they were at the right place at the right time. And they happened to choose an idea that in this case had such an outlier event, as, as Nicholas Taleb calls it, a black swan event that is just completely unpredictable. And for them, they were in the right place at the right time. And this is where that hard work, luck, and skill comes into play. Did all these founders put in hard work? Absolutely. Did they have some skill and experience to get that product out and, and to be growing it? Absolutely. Was there luck involved, perhaps, in the fact that some of these were essentially doubling month over month, there was. But that's the game. And if you aren't doing things in public, and if you aren't working hard, and you aren't putting your skill to work, you'll never get lucky. If you're not in the game, no amount of luck will get you to that point of dramatic success. And there's an old quote from Thomas Jefferson that I like to paraphrase, that's the harder I work, the luckier I get. And while I don't think hard work directly correlates to it, I think there's a lot of things that are involved as I've been saying, hard work, luck, and skill, I think all play a role. In this case, doing things in public continues to create opportunity for founders. So those are a few things I learned in 2020. Obviously, there are more than that, but I wanted to share those with you today. Maybe some of them resonated, and I'd be interested to hear if you learned something. You can tweet me at Rob Walling 
or post in the comments for this episode, which is 536. And now I wanted to throw out a few areas that I think opportunities exist in 2021. And frankly, I mean, if you look at the tiny seed companies we've funded in the first two batches, or I look at any of the companies that I see having success in the microconf community or online or on indie hackers, they're in all types of niches. So when you see a list of niches that are growing or industries that are taking off, there is opportunity there, but there is opportunity in a lot of places. There's opportunity in construction CRM software like Builder Prime in our 2020 batch of Tiny Seed, and in data for biopharma mergers and acquisitions like, like DealPharma, which is a batch two company, in online scheduling software like Derek Reimer's SavvyCal, which is a batch one company. You know, these, some of these are horizontal, some are vertical. There's room to grow in a lot of places, but some areas that I see growing over the next one to three three to five years are these. Number one, I think there are going to be more freelance and more gig workers than there ever have been. And I think part of that is due to the economy. I think part of that is due to people wanting remote work. Part of that is due to people seeing that perhaps working retail or working in a restaurant has been really impacted by COVID. And if there is another thing like this, another pandemic or another thing that causes stores to shut down, people want backup plans. And Freelancing sites like Upwork and freelancing management software and ways to pay your freelancers like TransferWise, these are all things that I am sure have gotten just massive booms from this. So thinking about what do freelancers need now, marketing and, and having freelancers as your main customer base is tough because they're price sensitive and they churn and they go out of business because then they get a job and so take it for what it's worth. But if you can build a business for freelancers, this is a really big market. And that's why I like what, what Dan and Ian are doing with dynamitejobs.com. If you haven't been to that site in a while, I would check it out because they're starting that two-sided marketplace, but they have the advantage of already having basically both sides of the marketplace filled with their Dynamite Circle online community. And I think they're doing things in public and it's going to create some opportunity here. I think they're on their way to finding that innovation. It's not reinventing something from scratch. It's not making something completely novel that came out of their head. It's, hey, let's take this concept of, of an Upwork or a Fiverr and put a spin on it that we think is lacking in the market. Much like we did with Drip, where it's there are other ESPs out there, but they don't do this. And let's do that better. And Derek Reimer with Savvy Cal, Ruben Gomez with DocSketch. It's like there are other e-signature apps out there, but how can I put my unique spin on it? How can I get some proprietary traffic channels and all that? So freelancers is one. Obviously, remote work. You've heard a ton about this. So, you know, what do software do people need for managing and dealing with remote work? They're going to be more creatives, full-time and part-time people. I've been asked in the past two months, four times from two relatives and then some old friends from a city I used to live in, hey, I think I want to learn to code or learn to be a designer or learn some skill that allows me to work from home on my laptop. And that's not a surprise because if you were formerly working at an accounting office or a, a legal office or you were going to school to get a degree in something that you were doubting if you were going to get a job and then suddenly the pandemic hits and you realize, oh, I can't just push paper and I need to be in an office to do my job or I can't work at the restaurant like my backup plan, learning these skills, I think there's going to be more and more people doing it. And so, you know, what do they need? What opportunities are, are there going to be there? Podcasting is a big thing. 
probably already knew this. You've seen the acquisition and the frothiness, but it is mind-boggling to me that there continue to be new podcasting apps that are launched that do different things from podcast hosting like a Castos to podcast editing productized service like Castos Productions to Squadcast, which is the recording of podcasts to Alley2. I interviewed the founder Colin Gray on this podcast maybe six weeks ago. And that is in essence, it's a podcast education, but the software is easy podcast editing effectively in your web browser. What other opportunities are there? I frankly, I could use help marketing our podcast. There are productized services that are doing all types of stuff to help podcasters get recognized or have better visuals or have better show notes or have better editing. They're out there. And I I think there continues to be not only expansion of new podcasts, but there's opportunity to start your own. I know that podcast listening hours have probably gone down now. I think that is going to make a big comeback once everybody's commuting again. I know not everyone will commute. Some people will stay remote, but I still listen to a lot of podcasts. I just, I force it into my day and that's not going away, especially as these cars get the direct podcast integrations. Virtual events, online video streaming, maybe online audio streaming events, question mark, once people are commuting again, you know, you look at Clubhouse and isn't that really what that is, is an online audio streaming event. It's fascinating to think about. I never would have thought that that is a format that people would want. But when you think about what you're doing, when you're listening to podcasts, I don't actually watch a lot of online video because I can't background it very easily. And I do listen to a lot of audio, a lot of audiobooks, a lot of podcasts. And so I think online video and online audio events, the sky's the limit there. And of course, then mixing that with in-person events as they come back, I think it's going to be a big deal. So there's, there's software, there's services, there's all kinds of stuff that, that needs to be done there. Those are a few perhaps obvious areas that I think will be expanding right now and for the next several years. But the hard part, I always struggled with those kind of niches or verticals or spaces because then I would go in and I would often try to create a solution in search of a problem for that audience. And that's not necessarily the way that I think you should should go about it. But I think looking in those spaces and then trying to find problems in them is where I would go. So that's that's a big thing. So I've announced it a couple times in MicroConf on airs. I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I am working on my next book. And it is in essence, it's not a sequel to Start Small, Stay Small, but it is like the next step. So Start Small, Stay Small focused on these tiny little niche businesses often with little competition, often having one or two marketing channels, you know, really like step one and step two businesses, if you remember my stair-step approach. And those, they're true lifestyle businesses, you know, true businesses that, hey, I wanted to make 10K, 50K a month, just like small businesses that will maybe never outgrow that niche. This book I'm working on now is maybe that next step. It's, it's maybe if you look at my trajectory of building those small niche businesses and then leveling up to a hit tail and then leveling up to a drip, you know, which became a seven figure app that we sold and, and obviously, you know, made life changing money from. That's what this is about. It's building that million dollar, multi-million dollar SaaS app without venture capital. And so in that book right now, I'm, I'm on the section of like looking for ideas and how to, how to think about generating ideas for startup. And it doesn't start with niches. It starts with several different approaches that I've seen and I've either done it or I've seen it in companies that, again, Tiny Seed, Microconf, startups for the rest of us, you know, all, all these sources. And one approach to finding your ideas, to find a problem 
and then try to build software that solves that. And I have five different ways to find problems. So if you start with, well, what problems do freelancers or remote work or creatives or podcasts or online video events, what problems are in those spaces? And then you can go through these five things of, I'm going to scratch my own itch. That's only if I, if I am a freelancer or I am a remote worker and I have a problem. You can look at it for a problem at your day job. You can look for the problem of a spouse, relative, or colleague. You can have a poor customer experience yourself and want to fix that with code and with your app. You can find a problem online by looking at Facebook groups, core threads, private Slack groups, product support forums, on and on and on. Finding a problem is one way. It's a great way to start. There are other ways. I'm going to run through a few of them here real quick because I have my book up. So why not just talk through it a little bit? Translate an existing idea to a new niche. So think about how Ruben Gomez launched BidSketch in 2009. There was proposal software out there, but he made proposal software for designers. So he niched it down. Later, he expanded, and BidSketch is still doing very well. Company in Tiny C Batch 2 called Builder Prime did this with great success by building a CRM for the home improvement industry. CRM existed. They really didn't have it for, for home improvement contractors. Another way is to go into a large space with a hated competitor. So that's what we did with Drip, going against Infusionsoft. Zero did this against QuickBooks. Stripe did this against every payment gateway ever. I would say... That's probably more of a step three thing that I wouldn't do that as my first effort, but it's, it's really a fascinating way to dive into it. And then there's a few other ways you can build on your audience or your reputation if you have one, build on your network, build a less expensive version of an expensive enterprise competitor, enter a fast growing ecosystem. That's like Josh Pigford did with Stripe Analytics, ADPNR did this with WooThemes back in 2008. And of course, you can build on an existing product. This is what Craig Hewitt did with his seriously simple podcasting WordPress plugin. He then built Castos SaaS app on top of that. I realize that's a lot of information coming at you at once. That's all from a chapter of my book. Once I um, figure out when that's coming out, I will be sure to let you know. If you want to be sure, by the way, to be notified or to hear about it, certainly listen to this podcast because I'll talk about it as we get closer. But robwalling.com, sign up for my email list, and I will definitely be mentioning it there as we get closer to it. I knew that writing another book would be a absolutely not fun, painful process. Um, and it has been that plus some. And in fact, with the holidays and then January and then tiny seed applications, state of independent SAS report, I have not touched it in almost two months. And I actually feel bad about that. But but I think there's definitely, you know, perhaps a gap in the market uh, for the type of book that I'm writing. And I do find that it is easy to get, there's a lot of topics to cover. And, and it's easy to, to have a lot of, you know, a lot of content because I've been talking about this for well, blogging about it for 15 years, talking about it on this show for more than a decade at this point. So there's plenty of words to be written, and I will try to keep it succinct, as I always do, to try to make the best use of your time. Speaking of succinct, I think I should wrap up this episode. I like to do these solo adventures every couple of months, two or three months, and this one's probably overdue at this point. I actually have an entire other solo episode outlined that I may record here in the next month or so. If you like this episode, let me know. I'm at Rob Walling on Twitter. You can always hit me up directly, questions at startupsfortherestofus.com or post a comment on this episode. It's great to have you here. Thanks again for joining me this week. And I'll be back in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.